everybody, this is Issa Cosette, and you are listening to Issa's Way, your favorite podcast that you didn't know you needed. You didn't know we existed, but we're so glad you're here. And this week we have a wonderful guest, poet, person, sister, friend of mine, Miss Jacqueline Jang, and I'm so excited to have her share her wonderful story, her experiences on the island. Um... And I feel like her story is just very powerful, especially dealing with identity and her work um, with poetry and many students here on the island and um, as she prepares to maybe one day leave us for a little bit until she has to come back. So anyway, (laughs) I say all that to say welcome, 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 Jackie. Hi, thank you. Thank you for having me. Yeah, you know. I'm excited to be here. I'm excited to have you, you know. because we always have a lot of conversations, but I feel like we kind of have to put some a purpose, a little bit of push behind them so that people and other people can understand not only just my right. story, but also yours. And I feel like you have a powerful story and like not only just in your writing that I've read and like heard as well. Um, but I feel like with not only just education and being a part of teaching English um, here on the island, it's just important. Um, to kind of tell your story. So tell my listeners a little bit about you. Who's Jacqueline Jane? Um, well, for those of you who don't know me, um, so I, I'm Jacqueline Jiang. I am a Chinese-born Puerto Rican is what I would like to consider myself, right? I know that the term is Chinese-born American, but um, I was born in Puerto Rico. A, my mother and my father are both Chinese. Um, I think it's a pretty interesting story. Uh, I like to think of it as what would be like, what you would like entre comillas, sort of the, in parentheses, what's like the reverse diaspora in joking. What's a reverse diaspora or something like so that? So I, I joke about that just in the sense that like my mother's family like moved from China to New York and then my mom moved from New York to Puerto Rico. Okay. So it's like all these two places where diaspora happens to where the city is, and then my mom like leaves the city. Mm-hmm. But my mom uh, meets my dad here. My dad is from Shanghai, China, and my mom is from New York. And they like. I mean, I don't think he's ever gonna listen to this. So like, <laughs> he married. I I feel like he married her right for like the Papers. American. Citizenship. That happens. It happens. Mm-hmm. But they got married after three months. Um, she didn't speak Chinese and he didn't speak English. So like. Wow, how did they communicate? That's they, interesting so, like, to think about. Love, that. baby. Mm. <laughs> okay, love. which births this poetry of what you speak? Maybe I don't know. Right. Um, and I, I, uh, you know, I don't know to go into. Like, what I think also helped mold me, my mom, my dad left when I was three, my mom um, is, and she still isn't, actually, like, she she wasn't a person that was very, like, um, pro-Puerto Rican culture, like, she was very, like, into staying American, and, um... So she was very Americanized, she she, was. She wasn't, I guess, I guess, more to the Chinese side. So, you didn't grow up maybe eating typical traditional Chinese food. You probably grew up eating what? I grew up eating a lot of McDonald's and, like, fast food and stuff. My mom didn't cook either. Like, she was a single mom. And we had, like, um, she was a musician, so we had the, you know, different schedules. So, she would be free during the day, but then she would work when I get out of school. And, um... You know, like, she just, she, she wouldn't cook a lot. Like, she, I didn't, like, starve or anything, but, like, we'd eat out a lot. Um, 
I did have like traditional Chinese food, but um, it wasn't something common. And like clearly, I ate more like comida criolla, Puerto Rican food. Mm -hmm. um, yes, she like since she wasn't around a lot, she didn't really raise me. Mm -hmm. Like obviously, she paid for my education and whatnot, but I got raised mostly by who would be like her neighbors or my neighbors. So like I remember I had the first time I ever had a limber, you know, like the, <laughs> Yeah, my mother-in-law yeah. sells those. Ah, uh, there you go. Uh -huh. So the first time I had a limber, I was like four and it was my mom's neighbor who we named Abuelito Antonio. Okay. And so like I remember having a limber at his house. My babysitter from when I was like two years old was this New Yorkian from Patterson. Okay. And so, like, her husband was a cocolo, super, mm -hmm. super, super into salsa. And so, like, my it was super drastic because I had my mom who didn't want me to learn Spanish. Mm. And I think that's the reason also why Spanish comes out so much when I write is because it's something like a secret rebellion. Like, this is who I am and you never Ooh. accepted that. Um, she didn't want me to learn Spanish ever. And so I had this problem of identity clashing with who, who I was really spending more time with, which was like my babysitter, her mm -hmm. husband, this guy listening to Tito Puente and Frankie Ruiz on Saturdays all the time versus like this like, very proper, like, don't learn Spanish because you're going to move back to the States when mm. you graduate, blah, blah, blah. So with that notion in your mind and also that like... Uh, less and desire to learn Spanish but also having that resistance of your mom trying to keep that away from you how do you feel um, or what's it like being a Chinese Puerto Rican how do you feel like how do you explain that experience um so I think it's something that I learned to love um this is something that I was actually talking to um, Dr. Alicia Posada about mm -hmm. um Who's the, you know, her, the her, linguistic. Her, yeah, her specialty is linguistics, right? Mm -hmm. And we were talking about um, the different Chinese people on the island. Okay. And so I, I consider that I'm, I'm a little bit different from other Chinese people that I know in the sense that like a lot of Chinese people that migrated here came with their entire family. And so they're very like close knit with each other. And, like, I don't want to use a stereotype, but, like, a lot of the restaurants that are open here, it's, like, family, right? right. And you have, like, the grandfather, the father, the whatever, and it's, like, the whole thing. But my mom came here by herself. We had nobody else. Um, and so it was hard because um, within this Chinese community of them having each other, like, these other Chinese families, like, they had, like, a strong base. Um, mm. And I didn't have that ever. And so I wasn't considered Chinese because I didn't speak Chinese mm. um, f amongst the Chinese people. Diaspora blues. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I wasn't considered Puerto Rican because I didn't speak Spanish. Mm. And so I was considered like a gringa. Like this yeah. Is, like, oh my God, I hate that word. I hate that Don't word call too. me gringa, ni afro gringa. So africana pa que tu sepa. <laughs> <laughs> I hate that word too. Yeah. Um... It comes out sometimes that I think that's like from the culture that we have, like Puerto Rico has, you know, so many words that we shouldn't use that we do. But that comes from resistance um, and all, also like the notions of there's so many people from the States who came in with bad intentions that yeah, that stigma, defensive. you know. Yeah. And so for us who we have ties to the States, but we don't think or live like other people who come from the States, that's why um, I feel like we have to defend our identity and yeah. our... Um, 
beliefs, you know, especially con la lucha or like, you know, when I wasn't in the university and like, though I'm not Puerto Rican, I feel like I sometimes identify with the community or identify with certain struggles, but I felt like I was more connected when I was like fighting or defending or marching, even though like it could only do but so much. But the fact that I was with people, right, or finding ways to connect, even though um, I had many reasons to not, you know, so um, I think with your neighbors, you know, with our professors, those were the ways that you kind of found your way to find self, right? And be able yeah, to hold on sure. to this Puerto Rican, Chinese Puerto Rican identity, no? With that, how do you feel your identity has shaped your writing career? Right, so it, it was hard to, it was hard to be Chinese here. Um, I got made fun of a lot when I was little. Um, and I think that, um, definitely something that helped mold, like, my identity and if I look back at the poems that I wrote before uh, college and now, I think moving to New York actually um, helped me embrace who I was and molded me or at least like got me into that direction of who I am today. Um, when I left for New York, I really thought that I wasn't going to come back. Uh, I hadn't, I, I still hadn't like identified myself as a Puerto Rican at that time. Was it because of the notions of your mother, or was it because you were just over it? It was. I w- it had to do a lot with my mom. It had to do a lot with my mom because I I moved to New York when I was nineteen. I graduated from the university when I was seventeen. Uh, I moved. I lived a year in Rincon on the west side of the island and whatever. But I, I always had my mom kind of say like, you know, when you when you graduate from high school, you're supposed to have left whatever. So when I finally leave, I'm like, okay, like this is it. I'm doing like the stereotype, like city or like La Jibara, like I'm I'm moving to the city, whatever. Right. And when I move to New York, I'm like, I don't really want to be considered um, an American. And I, I, not that that's a bad thing, but like I didn't I didn't feel identified in New York. I also saw myself having issues in New York with like mm-hmm. making friends even there because it was like I don't fit with the Chinese community here. And the people that actually were nice to me in New York were the Latinos. Wow. So, like, all of my fucking friends were, like, from Honduras, from um, Mexico, from Puerto Rico. And like, they, we would hang out, and we would talk in Spanish, and it would be fun. And I remember, like, um, living in New York, crying, watching Caso Cerrado, which is, like, this, <laughs> this ridiculous thing. It is. But it would be what would, like, take me home, because they'd be speaking Spanish, and she'd be sassy up in here, like, No, llévalo a la corte, que si es And I'm like, oh, my God, I miss Puerto Rico so much. Yeah. And so when I came back, um, and I came back for my mom, when I came back, I was like, no, 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 like, I have to know about, like, my identity, like, this is where I belong. And so that's where I started to, like, do, like, study a lot, um, travel around the island a lot, like, try to know as much as possible. And I feel that, um, that helped me in the sense that, like, my struggle to be identified as some, as someone all the way up into that point was like there was a part of me that I was always like oh I'm still gonna try to like learn about my Chinese culture right and I never got accepted wow. never and so like I even took like Chinese classes in my bachelor's degree like thinking like oh I'm gonna move to China and I'm gonna teach there and like even by like the professor that gave the class she was like you shouldn't even be here because you're Chinese and I'm like but I don't know how to speak Chinese uh-huh. and so there was already like limitations from who I, the people that I look like and then I had these people I don't look like you but I speak like you and you treat me like I'm you and so like why don't I just embrace that instead right it's it's kind of hard to 
And it's even because it's like you're not first generation. Like, well, I mean, for Puerto Rico, yes, yeah. right? Because you are the first generation of your family to be born here. But it's just like, I know for me, trying to embrace being Liberian or like the cultures and traditions that we have growing up and like embracing being from Atlanta, you know, but still not speaking my mother's language. Like, I don't speak mm-hmm. Vi. When they, like, growing up, it used to be frustrating because I had family in Atlanta, you know, and my grandma would constantly come, you know, um, and try to talk with us or say things and especially when she'll be frustrated like well why did you guys speak vi and it's just like well you guys never taught us so what do you want me to do right so it, it it's frustrating so and we don't we didn't have the option of possibly learning it in school because vi isn't a written language it's you know something that's really spoken and so i mean they they're they have certain writings now but it's not something we could learn in school right, right. something you learn like for example my mother learn how to speak vibe from her grandmother, you know? So maybe I think um, that's where I was supposed to learn it from, but since my grandma was constantly in and out of Liberia, that's where probably we didn't pick that up the language. So, um, to, for example, like, I know if I was to, like, go to my aunt or something like that, or maybe meet another Liberian or another vibe person because there's, like, 16 tribes in Liberia, and they all speak different languages, but like if I was to go to one and like they tell me like, oh no, you should know this, I know my heart would be broken because yeah. I meet people and you're like, oh, I'm African, and they're like, really? Well, do you speak your language? And you're like, oh no, and they're like, oh, and it's almost like you're not good enough, like you don't qualify as being African because you know you don't speak a language. It's almost like people of the Puerto Rican diaspora who. Um, there's some people who don't speak Spanish and they're like, well, you don't speak Spanish. That makes you less Puerto Rican. Like, how does that, que tiene que ver? you know, like yeah. they're both colonizers languages. So it's just like, what do you feel? And it's kind of sad because I've thought about this too. Um, like I've been asked by like Chinese people have a name for people that are physically Chinese, but don't speak the language. And so, uh, when I was young, it used to be bamboo shoot. I don't remember what it is, the translation in Chinese. But Mm -hmm. I would get called this going to Chinatown, like, when I was younger. And, like, I'd go to a bakery, I remember still, and, like, they start talking to me in Chinese. I'm like, no, like, I just want, like, this yellow cake thing. And Mm -hmm. then they're just like, blah, 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 like, you're this bamboo shoot. Wow. And so now it's changed. Now it's banana person, which is like, I don't even know if that's worse. Okay. So that's Shangjiaoren in like Chinese. Uh-huh. And that's literally banana person because you're yellow on the outside, but you're white on the inside. What? And so I'll tell this to Puerto Ricans and they'll be like, no, that's really fucked up. But then, but then I'll then go... You when you when Puerto Rican people meet someone from the states, that's all like no man. But I'm like the most Puerto Rican person here. They go pero tú no hablas español. Uh huh. And so we all do it. Like every culture does it. Yeah. And we're like blind to other cultures that do exactly. it. Exactly. It's so, so easy to point the finger. Yeah. You know, instead of looking at yourself, it almost makes me think of the diaspora blues poem I shared with you. And I'm too foreign to be fully american or african-american but like when i go to liberia if i ever get to go or when i get to go i'll get there and they're probably gonna say wait you know i'm saying you're you you know not why are you here but you're here but you're not really here you're not you know you're not yeah but then again i can't say that because i haven't been there but we'll see for example when i went to ghana i was welcomed with warm arms that they're like oh you one of us Liberian what you got me in sis yes and it felt like home for me especially being the first time for me on the continent but when I went to Morocco right after 
And then once again, I'm telling them, like, even once I got, um, so my name, Isa, means thank you to God mm-hmm. in my mother's Vi language, but in Arabic, it actually means Jesus, right? Oh. So, right. So when I got to Morocco and um, <clears throat> I was getting through immigration, the man stopped me and he was like, he saw my passport and he says, where are you from? And I, well, not, not, not just where are you from, he said, where are your parents from? And I was like, Liberia. And like, he kind of looked at my passport, looked at me and he said, okay, look, like it wasn't a problem. Like I didn't have any problem, but that was when I also realized like, okay, my name means another thing in a, for another, for another person, uh-huh. right? For us, it means this. Um, but the experience of when I met other Moroccans and I was telling them, yeah, I'm African and all this stuff, I'm Liberian. They're like, no, you're American. And like, no one in Morocco was just like, yes, you're one of us. But that's also supposedly Moroccans have like an identity where they don't feel like the other Africans. You know, they're Moroccans or, you know, maybe mm-hmm. Egypt as well. So like that's a difference for and um, for some. Evil. <laughs> what? That's well, that's I mean, I love Puerto, Puerto Rico, but like we do that with the other Caribbean islands, man. Right, exactly. Not yeah. being like they're not Caribbean, but like you guys are in the Caribbean. We're part of the Caribbean, but like we're on this trip of like you know. I mean, I don't want. Yeah, no, but but political. just to be real, we get to that point where we feel like okay, we're not, but we are. But you guys are located in the Caribbean. First of all, when I I started learning Spanish when I was thirteen years old. So when I came at twenty one, that's like seven years under my belt of like speaking and learning. Not like. Per, like Whatever I would, I can speak Spanish. To me, I can speak Spanish because I passed all the tests, was mm-hmm. able to get here. I get here in orientation. And I'm like, what are these people saying? Yeah. I was like, this is not Spanish. I was because as if someone listens to patois from Jamaica or some Creole from like Barbados anywhere, they're like, okay, I know you speak English, but you have like a Creole like something different of it and that's the same way with puerto rican spanish cuban spanish dominican but we don't see it because in their eyes they're like do i speak spanish they don't realize how creolized Mm -hmm. (laughs) they've become but you know everyone learns about identity and accepts certain things differently um and i think because we have uh the chance to have different parents we have different perspectives and we have like a life on the island we're able to criticize in a way but still kind of make a change instead of just like accepting things that what it is and being blind to the fact of what is identity like i feel like um the majority of my time has always been trying to be accepted for example by like the afro puerto rican community and you know like that's my fact because we all want to be accepted but i had to realize like i'm i'm african right you know what i'm saying i'm not puerto rican i love the puerto rican or latina culture but you know what i'm saying i'm a Liberian American person. So my experience is going to be yet similar, but totally different than an Afro Puerto Rican experience. And so both of our experiences are valid and we both need to connect and understand, but I can't erase mine to accept another and I can't erase theirs to accept mine. Mm -hmm. It's just a, and I feel like even with learning and embracing your Chinese and Puerto Rican culture, it's like you didn't want to erase it, but you wanted to accept it. You weren't accepted. And then you went out and you found acceptance from your, other right and it's very different from your experience here on the island but even for me i had to leave home to realize my identity like i never cooked liberian food until i I left home right well my grandma you know she a boss you know (laughs) so like growing up in the kitchen it was like i was like in her way i was either too slow or too weak or you know and Uh, i was a tomboy it just wasn't really my thing to be in the kitchen Mm -hmm. Um, but the more that I've lived here, I've wanted to connect with home. Yeah, and it sucks that I can speak Spanish, you know, but I can't speak my language. But I still have those 
certain traditions that I hold value to, I hold on to. Um, and so I know when you're writing, you incorporate um, those experiences and those challenges. And I think that's why I'm um, trying to do that in my way. Not only just to share my voice, but many voices of the diaspora. And I feel like um, in contemporary writing right now, where we're going um, and exploring, are allowing these voices to be heard because migration and w- there's a lot of moving, you know, and a lot of displacement and a lot of people trying to find self or trying to find identity or understand and who they are. Um, and it can be so hard to do. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's why I think that like poetry and art is so important because it opens like that passageway for people to kind of start that journey because it's so hard, it's eternal. Right, almost like, um, I know you told me, but I want you kind of reiterate for our listeners of why you feel it's very important to teach English here for your students. Oh, man. <laughs> so, like, I, can, I feel like I could, like, go on and on forever about it. So, I taught English for the first time uh, when I first graduated from my bachelor's degree. And I remember, like, going into the school and being confronted with, like, uh students that were like I don't need to learn English mm-hmm. and they were always like oh my god like the Spanish teacher is so cool like the Spanish teacher whatever mm. and uh, I came in thinking like no like I'm gonna keep I'm gonna educate these children to speak English and when I realized that at the end of the day like one day I had this revelation where I'm like I, I come in here teaching the colonizer language mm-hmm. you don't need to know that language really but is Spanish not another colonized language? Spanish is a colonizer oh, no. language this, this goes back all the way to like the nationalist problems that mm-hmm. like yeah like I'm the most nas- nacionalista but really like you speak in Spanish like you know and then they there's this whole like theory about like the nationalist Spanish uh, it has to be perfectly written Spanish um the point is nothing a the I, I wanted them to learn to speak english so that they could defend themselves okay uh if they ever had to face a colonizer or <laughs> someone that didn't understand the history of our island right and i think um especially from my experience in education for like my afro students it's just like no, y'all really got to learn because you guys don't have the same opportunities and it's not fair. You know what I'm saying? And like, we don't realize it until you get to university and you really don't have that many people representing or just having the chances because they don't think or like their parents, like for example, for me, my goal was just like, wow, graduate high school and you've made it, you know? So everything that I've done past that is just a gift from God because I never thought in my own like, like thought process that I could do more than that, you know, because I, by the like have made it you know and i'm grateful for that and i want to make sure that other people in my situation or who look like me have this because it's not i don't come from money my mom was a single mom she was an immigrant and we struggled but she told me how to network how to find mentors how to ask how to pray and i grind you know and i feel like how i use that i pass it on to my students or my friends so that we can be able to make a difference make a change and stand up for ourselves instead of being taken advantage of but um I know that we have so much more to talk about because, yes. you know, like in our short period of time and I'm super excited about this conversation of the um, identity of just your work in English education on the island here or whatever God leads you internationally. Um, and I know you have a poem to share with us, um, kind of relating your Chinese experience. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, so this poem is called China Girl. 
I you were there when I read it in the Tumblr <laughs> slam. So yeah. this is in the when I read it for the first time, guys. I said this is the first time that I'm reciting this sober, <laughs> and everybody laughed. I remember. Room, do you remember? Yeah, because I was <laughs> say, okay, this might be the second time sober. This is the second, <laughs> this is the second sober time. Okay, um, China girl, one. Life is dangerous when streets are deadly. I walk down gray concrete and I'm asked by an older man if I am an architect, walking with my posters of promotion. No, I say, I am a poet. He asks me what I write about, what kind of sex and texture and color come out of my words. I say, I do not know how to answer that question. Then he says something to me in Chinese. My face is from China. My heart is from Boriken. So I reply that I do not understand. I walk a little faster. Two, my mother and I go to Mandarin house to celebrate the year of the dog. I am skeptical of the words I will say. My mother is fearless. She mispronounces a word in Mandarin and the waiters look at her, laugh. She laughs with them in confusion and in desire of friendships. You don't understand, they ask us. My mother tries to reply in broken Chinese. I simply reply, no. One of the waiters tell me, it's okay. I speak broken Chinese too. And then he laughs as he walks off. Three. When people here ask me where I am from, I say, I was born here, and they smile. Their smiles are warm on my heavy eyes, worried of being mocked as a child. Pues eres de aquí, they say, and I respond that I am that there is nowhere else I would rather have been born and raised except here, that the salsa and the arroz con gandules and pasteles and love in our language is so eternally beautiful that it hurts me to see our people die without electricity, food, or water because of a dictator that is too stupid and selfish or both to keep his people alive. Four, I am not La China that you so affectionately call me and if my blood could have been planted here to grow as beautiful as flowers, I would not have doubted my creation. In China, I am no one, an outcast who cannot speak their language, who looks like the rest of them, but is fake. No thought to heart, to mind, to soul. Five, in this island of Boriquen, I am identified with the Afroantillana, the Santeria of the Sea, the abrazos between arms of even strangers. Here, I do not have to be afraid to raise my voice, to yell, to open my mouth whenever I want. I am not a China girl. I just look like one. Woo! And there you go. That's how we end the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Almost there. I'm just like, just like then and now, I'm just like, it makes me um, just reflect on the journey to come and the journey you've had. Um, and it's beautiful how you just translate those experiences into um, this wonderful poetry and bring this image to life and experience. And so, I mean, I know you're going to be great. And I can't wait to see your growth, you know. Um We'll be in this, you know, for a long while. Yeah. But usually as we end, I like to ask my guests, Miss Jacqueline Jang. Yang. Jang. 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 
Jiang. Mm-hmm. Jesus <laughs> Christ. <laughs> How are you on your way? Um, I am on my way by committing myself to writing more. And I will hold you accountable to make sure you're writing at least two poems a week. <laughs> at least. Okay. At least. Okay? And I'm just, once again, blessed and grateful that you let me, you know, grabar contigo. Yeah, girl. Know, you know, we talked a little bit about some personal, intimate identity things. But I feel like once we talk about it, it helps us realize who we are. So, we'll have you back. We'll have a part two of this in the near future. Sounds good. Yeah. So, everyone, you know, where can they reach you on your social Insta, I don't know. Um, yeah, my Instagram is, uh, ironically, Microfono Abierto. How do you spell those for those who can't speak Spanish? So it's, uh, it's the translation for open mic. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's M-I-C-R-O-F-O-N-O-A-B-I-E-R-T-O. All right, shout her out, look her up, and stay tuned to her work that's coming out your way. You know you can find me at anything at, at Isekoze and all, show, uh, all social. This is your girl. <laughs> Thank you for tuning in to another episode on Isa's Way. Y'all be blessed. Bye.